something before I get into the message. It just kind of came to me. This was a little um, quote that Tony Cook, who will be coming again this fall, uh, sent this to me, and it kind of describes what goes on when, when we're in this exact setting. He said, the preacher's throne, I'm not sure I like that term, is the pulpit. He stands in Christ's stead. His message is God's word. Around him are immortal souls. The Savior unseen is beside him. The Holy Spirit broods over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene. And heaven and hell await the issue. What associations and what vast responsibility. And it's not something that I take lightly. Last week we began to talk about getting a perspective that the Bible teaches us on what's going on in the world around us, the craziness of what's going on in the world. And, and I mentioned that one of my neighbors um, and then a, the owner of a restaurant we'd gone to had both pulled me aside because they know what I do and, and asked me, you know, what is going on in this world? It's crazy. And at least one of these is not a Christian. And so for them to be able to recognize this is craziness, uh, and I'd already held this in my heart to do. So we began to talk about last week that, that you and I live almost all of our life. We were trained in, raised in, living in a world that's basically within the boundaries of our five senses. It's what we call our natural life. It's what you're feeling right now, the way you're sitting there. It's the way you physically see things, hear things. It's life as we know it. All right? Our own life, the lives of other people that we encounter and get to see and, and, and greet on Sundays that we have in our lives. But we form that we, 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 it's very tempting, and we do, we, to, to conclude that that's all there is. That's life. And that's not at all what the Bible tells us. And so last week we, we, we began to look at pulling back the curtain that separates this life, this world, this life that we are so familiar with and love and try to hang on to so desperately. You may be frustrated with it. People say, you know, this is sitting so hard, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. I said, but think of the alternative. <laughs> At least you're alive. And so, but we began to pull back the curtain because there's a curtain that separates this life from the spirit realm that's out there. And I use the example of the, from the Wizard of Oz, those of you that remember the Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy come in, in the, and her associates finally get to see the wizard, and there's this horrible, f- gruff, powerful force that's up on this wall, projected on this wall, and when they finally come back with what he's told them to do, because they all have requests that they've made known to him, kind of like coming to God and asking something, and while they're scared of him and he's, he's disappointing them, Dorothy's little dog Toto goes over and sees this curtain and grabs it and begins to pull it back and they find out what's really operating this powerful wizard is this man who's got this device and he's controlling this. And it kind of awakens us to the idea that what we see, what we hear, what we understand is not everything that's going on. And then we looked at some examples from the Bible. We looked at the prophet Elisha who woke up one day, his servant woke up one day, and the Syrian army had surrounded them in the city of Dothan. 
And the servant does what we would all do. They panic. It's a suddenly this happened in their life. Suddenly it looks like their whole world is threatened. And he runs to the prophet and he's panicked. And he said, Master, Master, what shall we do? What shall we do? And the prophet gets up with him and they look out over the walls and see they're surrounded by this powerful army. And the prophet said, Oh, that's it? That's so don't worry about it. There's more with us than are against it. And the servant was shocked. How can you say that? Sounds like most preachers. How can you say that? You're not, in, you're not in touch with reality. And the prophet said, Father, open his eyes to see what reality there really is. And God opened the eyes of the servant and he saw that surrounding this vast army were the host of chariots of fire, the Lord's angels protecting them. And they, but they were there all along. It's just that the prophet saw them by faith and the servant couldn't see them because his eyes were on this physical, natural life and the threatening that this brings. We saw Jesus ministering to people. And they had physical conditions that most likely, if they'd gone to a doctor today, we looked at a woman who most likely had some advanced kind of arthritis. She had been bent over for 18 years. But Jesus dealt with the spirit, the demon that was behind that. And then we looked at, 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 the, at the end. We have John the Apostle, was the last living of the apostles that Jesus had with him when he walked on this earth. And John has been banished to the Isle of Patmos because of the preaching of the word. And, 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 uh, and Jesus appears to him and in the spirit and opens his eyes to revelations of what is to come. And so we began to talk about the whole purpose of last week was just to awaken us to recognize that in this world what's going on is there is a, there is a vast drama unfolding in the spirit realm that God has already ordained, God understands what's going on, and there are parts of it that have been told, foretold in the Bible. And then we talked about the fact that in your job, in your, in your family, these same spirits are working in some way. We saw Paul said in, Roman, in Ephesians chapter 6 that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're in a war, there's a war going on, but it's not the enemy that you think it is. The real enemies are the spirit realm behind it that are orchestrating what's going on. And that's critical because Satan wants us to fight the wrong enemy. He wants us to feel that this is out of control and there's nothing we can do. And so we're beginning to look at looking behind this curtain, what do we see by, the, by God's Word? That's the only way we can do that. And then what does that mean in different areas of our life? And this morning we're going to look at it kind of from backwards forwards. We're going to look, what does it mean to look behind this curtain at the eternity that awaits all of us on the other side of that curtain? Because on the other side of that curtain is eternity. And every one of us will step into that, step behind the curtain into eternity. And what difference should that awareness, does that awareness make in our life? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Our lives, now listen carefully, and these are, I hope you download these notes because I put a lot in these notes, sometimes I don't say. 
And there's sometimes quotes that I don't, that you can look at. And the reason for these is so you don't feel like you've you got to take furious notes. And I know we got note takers, and that's great. But I want you to be able to listen. Our lives, the values that we have, the goals that we set, the decisions that we make, and the time and resources we spend are all based on our perspective of what, we, what this life is all about. So if, if this life is all there is, and there, are no, there is no eternity on the other side of this life, and there are no eternal, eternal consequences or results of our decisions in our life here, then it changes how we live. This is, what, this is what's behind. One of the things that's behind this onslaught to get rid of God in our culture. Everything, almost everything that's come down the pike, and this is not new, has, is, to, is to get rid of God. So we get rid of the Ten Commandments. We get rid of prayer. We get rid of everything that can tell people that when you die, there's a God you're going to have to give an account to. Because it makes them uncomfortable. That's why they're uncomfortable when you talk to them. That's why they're uncomfortable to have us around because we're, we're, we're a witness to them that there is something on the other side and instinctively they know they're not prepared. So instead of listening and getting prepared, they want to pretend that they're never going to have to face this. So when we have this attitude, it's kind of like, um, uh, well, you know, let's just enjoy our lives. <laughs> Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's get, it's the old hedonist idea. Let's, hey, we're gonna, this is it. Let's get the most out of it. Or I've heard some people say, <laughs> I'm going to live it up here, because when I die, I know I'm going to hell, and all my friends are going to be there, so I might as well go to hell. And you don't know what hell is like. I had a, a, a law partner, and this was kind of his philosophy. He had a bumper sticker on the back of his Maserati, and that kind of tells you something. And, and it was this. Not that it's wrong with a Maserati, but he, his, his life motto was, he who dies with the most toys wins. And it's kind of a joke. And none of us, none of us would ever, ever say that. But in many ways, the way we conduct our lives, it really is with that same, that same mindset. I want to look at some scriptures in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, just to give you some background, was most, the, most theologians believe was written by Solomon. Solomon, as you recall, was David's son, King David's son. And when he became king... God spoke to him and said, whatever you want to rule this people, I will give you wealth, gold, riches. And Solomon was smart. He said, no, Father, no, God, to rule your people, I need your wisdom. And God's response was, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm not only going to give you my wisdom, but I'm going to give you what you could have asked for that you didn't. And so Solomon, by God's own testimony, was the wisest man on the earth at that time. But Solomon's reign and his wisdom began to affect him. And Solomon began to violate some of God's words. 
he collected, I don't know why anybody collected more than one wife anyway, but he collected, he collected multiple wives, but they were of foreign wives. And when the Bible told you, told them not to do that because they brought their foreign gods in. And he began to collect horses. He began to collect things to, to build. And I want to read to you. So what happened is Solomon backslid. And he still had the wisdom, but the wisdom wasn't coming out of a relationship with God anymore. It was the leftovers of that wisdom. And so I want to read you some things because this, this is the thinking of a man who can do whatever he wants to do and what he's going to get out of life. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2 We'll pick up in verse 4. I made my works great. Listen to how many times I is in here. I built myself houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water ponds from which to water the growing trees in the grove. Verse 7. I acquired male and female servants. I had servants born in my house. I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of the kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and delights of the Son of Man and musical instruments of all kinds. Verse 9, I, So I, I became great, listen to this, and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. My wisdom, no longer God's. Whatever my, listen to this, whatever my eyes desired, my eyes, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Stop there a second. This is the ultimate picture of success in the world today. I got everything, everything I could ever imagine happening. I got people that work for me. They do what I want. I have satisfied every desire I possibly could because I am the king and I have unlimited wealth. I can do whatever I want to do and I have satisfied myself with everything this world can offer of success. Verse 11. Then I looked at all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity, grasping at the wind. For there was no profit under the sun, and madness and folly. So, he's looking back on his life, and saying, all these things I built my life around, when it came to the end, there was no satisfaction, there was no eternal value in them. Because his only perspective of life shifted from God's perspective to this, to this world. He had invested his life in this life only with no view to the eternal one. Paul makes a comment about this in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about the, 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 the importance of the resurrection, Christ's resurrection to us. Christ's resurrection into this next realm behind the curtain. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If This is to Christians. If in this life only we have hope in Christ... 
we are of all men to be pitiable. If our hope is in this world, in this life, then of all people, we're to be pitied, even though we have Christ in this life. Now, here's what I want to begin to do today. The threshold of reality, of eternities, the threshold of eternity is you will be stepping into a destination in your eternity. And there are only two. We're going to talk about the good one first. <laughs> Hebrews 9.27. This is the first thing we have to face. It is appointed for men or every man to die once. So the first reality you have to face, it's not fun to face it, but it's critical that we face it, is that you will die. Praise God, glory, hallelujah. It's amazing how Christians, Christians say, oh, I can't wait to go to heaven, I can't wait to go to heaven, and then you see the doctor and he tells you, you've got six months before you're going. And we panic. Suddenly we find out we're not quite as ready as we thought we were. I've never been at the deathbed of somebody and their words were, Pastor, I wish I had bought more things in my life. I, Pastor, I wish I had a bigger house. I, I wish I had a more successful... I wish I had more money. I've never heard that. The first concern is, where am I going? Because now there's a reality, this is ending. And those that are in Christ and have what we're going to talk about this morning... The difference is night and day. You can't fake religion when you know you are on your deathbed facing the next behind the veil. And, and, to, and to be at, the, at that place with somebody that knows where they're going, there is such amazing peace and joy. And there are many of those we could testify to. There's a point of man who wants to die. And after this comes the judgment. Verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time, but apart from our sin, but for salvation. So I'm going to talk to, first of all, to those of you that are in Christ. Because we have people that are watching online, and we may have some here that you don't know for sure. And we'll talk to you about that in the end. What does it mean that I know, that, 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 I, that, I have, that I have a confidence that when I, is what Paul said, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. What difference does that perspective make in my life? Because that's what we're talking about, peeking behind the veil, and the first thing we see is eternity lies behind there. So the first thing is, it gives us God's perspective on what, on what is happening, looking at it, from the end. First thing it teaches us is, and this is one of the most important things when you're looking at the world today, when you begin to look behind the curtain and you see that God's hand is working there, then you realize that this is not as far out of control as it looks like. Ultimately, God is in control. 
That does not mean God's controlling everything that happens. What it means is regardless of what happens, God already knew it and has made provision. And ultimately, this will turn out God's way. So when you wake up in the morning and you see craziness in the news, craziness in your family, realize the God who lives in you isn't panicked because He still is in control. He still is in control. And we need to have that perspective. In 1 Thessalonians 5, they're not going to put it up there, Paul talks to them, to the Thessalonian church, that when Christ comes back, it's going to be with a suddenness. And there are other places where, places where Jesus talked about that and how we need to be prepared for that. But in verse 11, he says, I'm telling you this to comfort you with these words. There were times Jesus told them what was going to happen and he said, I'm telling you now so that when it happens, you'll know that God has this under control. So having this perspective behind the curtain, recognizing that whatever's going on behind there ultimately and it's affecting this world, it's affecting my life and my family. Ultimately, God's, it's not out of God's control. It's not beyond God's control. I want to look at Psalm 73. We're going to go through parts of this. It's a little long, but, and we're going to look at this in the New Living Translation. Can you put it up there? This is a psalm written by David, I believe, when, when he was living in a time not so unlike this, and, and everything seemed to be going wrong, and the, the, the people that were ungodly seemed to be prospering, and the godly seemed to be suffering. And one thing, one, wonderful things about David, he was just real with God. He just poured his heart out before God. So, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Keep going. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. Why? For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. See, David's looking at it through the perspective of this life and it looks like everything's upside down. The people that ought to be struggling and ought to be suffering because they're ungodly are prospering and the good people, the people that love God and are worshiping God, they're struggling. It just doesn't seem right. But he's only looking at it in terms of what is the world that his senses can see. They seem to live in such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like jeweled necklace. Boy, I could go with that somewhere. I saw someone wearing their pride in this month of pride, and it was prideful and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats, I love the New Living Translation, have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil, and in their pride they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused. This is talking about the church. Drinking in all their words, they're listening to the news. They're seeing all the, all the things and in the, in how the, the church and God and the things we believe in and cherish it because God does, how they're being trampled upon. And so the, peop- so the people were dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. Verse 11. 
Why does not, what does God not know, they ask? I mean, is he asleep? What's going on, God? Where are you in this crazy world or in my life? Does not the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying life with ease while their riches multiply. Did I not keep my heart pure for nothing? Or did I keep my heart pure for nothing? What is it prospering me? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long and every morning brings me pain. And this encouraging. If I'd really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Ah, then I went to church and heard Pastor John. (laughs) Then I went into your sanctuary, Lord, and finally I understood the destiny of the wicked. In your presence, in your word, in your sanctuary, the curtain was pulled back. And I saw the end result of their lives. Verse 18. Truly you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In other words, they may be prospering now, but the direction they're going in is disaster. In an instant, they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. See, this helps keep your heart right. I was so foolish and ignorant I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Shows you God's patience with us. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. We'll end there. This is where so many of us live. And again, we're looking at the importance of having this perspective. We've got to move on. So the first point is it gives God's, God's perspective on what's happening with the end results. Secondly... It teaches us that whatever happens, God's hands, His faithfulness, and His love for us are greater than whatever's happening in our life right now. Romans 8.28, very famous scripture. For we know that God, we know that all things work together for good. Now, people stop there. All things don't work together always for good. But for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose... That doesn't mean God causes everything, but God is working behind the scenes to work things out that you don't understand and I don't understand. But when we keep our eyes only on what's happening in front of us, we become discouraged, we become weary in well-doing, and eventually we may start speaking the bitterness of our heart out the way we saw in Psalm 73 that, that David did. And then Romans 8.31 This is so important. If you're struggling, you should read these verses every day for a while. Verses, uh, Romans 8, 31 through 39. What shall we say to these things? This is Paul looking behind the veil. And Paul had gone through all kinds of persecution and trouble. If God is for us, who can be against us? If he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? Verse 32, 3. 
Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God that justifies. Verse 34. Who is he that condemns? It's Christ Jesus who died and furthermore is risen, who is at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. 35. Who, this is what your perspective is. Who, what? Whatever's happening in your life, whatever's coming against you, who, whatever your neighbors are doing to you or saying about you, whatever's going on at your workplace because they know you're a Christian, whatever's going on in your family, what's going on in your work right now, look behind the veil and see what God sees, how God is looking at you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword For it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long and accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yeah, but what about it? Verse 37. Yet in all these things, whatever you're facing right now, whether it's financial, whether it's in your body, whether it's in your home, whether it's your job, whether it's your whatever going on in your life, whether it's this world, this is what's behind the veil. This is what God says. In all these things... We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. They don't feel like more than a conqueror. It doesn't look like I'm more than a conqueror. Look behind the curtain. For I am persuaded. Now this is written by a man who went through stuff. This is not a theological professor sitting in his ivory tower writing out some doctrine. Paul wrote this from jail. (laughs) And he was in jail several times, beaten for preaching the truth. And in the middle of all this, Paul says, I'm persuaded, see this was his perspective, that neither death nor life nor principalities or powers, that's the spirits, nor things present, whatever's going to go on today, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. That love is staring back at you from behind the veil today, no matter what you're going through today. So the third thing is when we live with our vision on eternity, it gives us a focus that will strengthen us to go through the hard times, to finish our life with peace and joy. Second Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul, this is verse 8, Paul writes these things to show us some of what he went through, and we talked about this before. We're hard pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed. See the contrast here? I'm under pressure, but it's not crushing me. We're perplexed. I don't know what's going on, but I'm still not in despair. See, there's a contrast to what he's going through and the ultimate destruction. Next verse. I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I've been struck down, but it hasn't destroyed me. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Verse 11. For we who live are always delivered over to death for, Christ, for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal body. So Paul said, I've gone through these things so that you may have life. 
And he could do that because of what we're going to see in a minute. Verse 12. So death is working in us, but life in you. Paul was living a sacrificial life. For we have the same spirit of faith according as written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. So to have this perspective requires faith. We'll talk about that down the road. Because you're looking behind the veil at something your eyes cannot see. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord will also raise us up with Jesus who will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, for all things are spread to the many, that many cause it. Keep going, verse 16, where I want to go. For we do not lose heart. This is why Paul, with everything that happened to him, did never get discouraged to the point of quitting. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We're going to talk to this down the road. But your outer man is in this realm. But you have a, the real you is on the inside. You can't see him or her. But that's the eternal part of you. And that newer inner man is getting renewed stronger day by day. I keep telling myself this as I get older. <laughs> this house I live in may be getting older, but the man on the inside is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Verse 16, 17. This is how. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment... For our, this light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Stay there a second. Look at the contrast. He's contrasting this life on this side with what's waiting him on the other side. The first thing he says is what's on this side is, is momentary. It may not seem momentary to you. It may seem like you've been going through it forever. But compared to eternity, it's whatever you've been dealing with, even if it's your whole life, compared to the eternity on the other side, is <sighs> so whatever you're going through, when it feels like this is never going to end, I can't do this, realize how you go through this affects something you're going to live in forever. And when you look back at however long you went through that, you're going to laugh at it because it was nothing. So he compares the length of time This is quick compared to that eternity. The second thing he compares is, this is a light affliction. I don't have time this morning to go through it, but Paul had been beaten. He had had gone through some of the things Jesus went through. He was falsely accused by the brethren. He was shipwrecked a number of times. And Paul calls this light affliction. Why? Because he's comparing it to what it's earning him on the other side, which is an eternal weight of glory. He's contrasting something that's kind of flimsy, that's temporary, that has no real substance to it, which is the affliction you're going through, what was what this life is. The Bible calls it a vapor. James chapter 4. This life compared to eternity is a vapor. It's like fog. You get up in the morning, there's fog out there, but we know when the sun comes up, it's going to burn off so we don't get overwhelmed because there's fog out there because it's temporary. But it's earning us, the way we go through this, our goal is it's earning us a weightiness, a substance, a solidness of glory. Verse 18, this is how he did it. While we look not on the things that are on this side of the curtain, 
For the things on, but on the things that are not seen, that's on the other side of the curtain. For the things which are seen here, this is just temporary. However old you are, you don't have to tell me. Look back to 10 years ago. And how fast did that go? A year ago, we were going through stuff. Look how fast it's gone. It's been hard for many of you, well, many of us, but it's gone. I turned 76 this year, and I went, where, married 54 years, where, where, where did that go? And you can't go grab it back, because it's a vapor. But the things, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen on the other side are eternal. And yet we live our life spending our lives focused on, worrying about things in this life which are temporary and are light compared to what's on the other side of that curtain. I'm going to have to move forward. It motivates us to stay on course, to be faithful to what He's given us to do. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. For we walk... Here you go. Therefore we make it our aim, whether we're present here or we're absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. So Paul's saying, as a result of this focus, this is, what I, this is what I do. This is how I live my life. Therefore we make it our aim. This is my goal. Remember I said in the beginning... What you see of eternity determines your goals. So if your goal is to be successful, if your goal is to be secure, if your goal is to be happy, your goal is set on this side of the veil. But Paul said, I'm setting my goal on the other side of the veil. My aim, whether present or apting, is to be well-pleasing to him. Keep going. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now he's talking here to Christians. This is not a seat for condemnation to hell. This is the seat where Christ, Christ responds to what you did, to your faithfulness to do what He gave you to do. The different Greek word. For we all must all appear with all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may give, receive the things done in his body according to what he's done, whether good or bad, faithful or unfaithful. Verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we're well known to God, and also trust we're well known to your consciences. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Move down there. For the ministry of condemnation has glory, but the... No, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Oh, he wants to put up 2 Corinthians. I'll give it to you. For we are fellow workers and you are God's field. We are God's, you are God's building. He's talking to the church at Corinth. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let us each take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay except that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So here Paul is saying, I, my responsibility to Christ has been to, 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 to build you into Christ. And so I work with, I am God's fellow worker, and so are all of you. So am I. 
But, the, but what we're building has to be built on a foundation, and that's only Christ Jesus. We talked several weeks ago where we saw where Jesus said to Peter and to the disciples, it's upon the revelation of who I am that my church is built. And this is why we have to be careful that whatever we do is building that foundation on that foundation of who Christ is and not get caught up in side issues that may look good, that may look very worthy of attention, but they're not building that foundation on that foundation of who the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation... He's talking about how you build your life. With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day, which is the day we stand before Him, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work what sort it is. And if anyone's work which is built on it endures, he will receive a reward. So when we go before Christ and he looks over our life, to, did we do what we, he called us to do? We're talking about how we govern our decisions here. Because there will be a day we stand before him and he will ask you, did you do what I called you to do and how did you do it? Did you build your life with gold? Did you build your life with something that was of value to me or was it hay, stubble? Because when the fire burns it, and I'm not saying, I don't think he has a blowtorch, but the image is the fire will test, and whatever has no eternal value will be burned away, and only what remains is what we will be rewarded for. But if, verse 15... But if each one's work, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, the loss of rewards. But he himself will be saved, yet not as through fire. And he goes on to say, don't you know that you're the temple of the Lord? A few years ago, one of our young men here, in the early 20s, came to see me. We had a wonderful conversation, very bright young man, Raised, raised in the, when the Word, builds his life on the Word. And we had a wonderful conversation, and he, he asked me some questions that were very challenging to me. And I was glad he did. And at the end, he said, Pastor, you've lived a, a, I was a long life. You've been through life to a longer degree than I have. What would you say to me about how to live my life? And I thought for a minute, and I said, here's how I've tried to live mine. And it's backwards. I've tried to govern my life today by what it's going to be at the, what, what do I want at the end? And I said, my goal is that when I stand before Christ, I will hear these words. And this is why I've gone through what I've gone through. This is why I get up in the morning. This is why when I don't want to preach, I preach. This is why I don't want to study, I study. This is why when I sometimes have to put up with none of you, of course, <laughs> difficult people. I have to smile and love back even though I want to say something else because I'm always picturing in my mind I'm going to stand before my Lord one day about how I responded in this situation. What do I want to hear? I want to hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But I said early on 
And I want to say now, every one of us today, this is not fun to look at, but it's the reality. Every one of us today is walking along the edge of eternity. I get this image of somebody, I used to see kids doing this, I had a brother that would do this. He would get up on the edge of something and he just walked down it like this. At any moment, if he slipped or lost his balance, he's going to go over and get hurt. And we don't realize because we go through life one day after another, but we are literally walking on the edge of eternity. Those of you that are young, you have your whole life in front of you, you expect. But there's no guarantee of that. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. There's no guarantee of this afternoon. So we need to learn to live our life not afraid, but conscious of it. But there may be those that are watching this morning or here this morning, and I'm not talking to you. You're on the edge. But remember I said when you step into eternity or else you fall over into eternity, your eternal soul is going to go one of two places. I've been talking this morning to those that have a confidence that you're in Christ. But if you're not in Christ, the Bible tells us that your eternal destination is hell. And it's very real. One of the words for hell that's used in the New Testament is, comes out of the Old Testament, Gehenna. And it's a term that was used for the trash dump that was outside Jerusalem. And it was always burning. And that's the description of what the Bible's telling us hell is like. Jesus talked about it, and we'll spend time on it at some point, that the people that go there, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't gnash your teeth unless you're in some kind of agony. And it's eternal. It's eternal. And the only thing that keeps any of us out of there is being in Christ. When the flood came on the world, it swept everyone and everything away except those who were in the ark. It protected them from it. All of us by nature were born into rebellion against God because we didn't acknowledge who He is. We didn't acknowledge Him, the place in our life He deserves. He deserves absolute loyalty, absolute love. He owns everything we've ever had, including the breath in our lungs and the beat of every heart. And yet we lived our life as if they were our lives. And if we die in that state, we're dying in rebellion to Christ, to God. And so the only thing that keeps us and holds us, and does hold us, is if you, if you are in Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. If you don't have that assurance this morning, it doesn't come by just saying a prayer. It doesn't come by just doing something. It's a humbling of your heart to open it and recognize 
that you need Jesus to save you and to deliver you from your destination and from yourself. And then it requires a commitment that you're willing to make to Him to give your life to Him. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, I don't want you to do it lightly. I don't want you to do it. I want you to do it because you know you need to do this and I want you to do it, those of you that are watching, because you realize you're not where you need to be and you realize you can't change your life and you realize that you need Jesus in your life to save you and to give you that hope we've talked about today. So if you're ready to do that, and only if you're ready to do that, here's what I want to do. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. I'm going to ask all of us to join it, and you just mean it as best you can. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I put my life as it is right now into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. Now, if you're watching online and you prayed that and you meant that prayer as best you can,